again today. Uh, we are continuing our series 2020 where we are looking for the gospel from one cover of the word through the next. And uh, what we've seen is uh, there, it took a shift when we went to the uh, New Testament. And now we see how this gospel uh, applies to our lives. Uh, so what we saw last week, God has done a mighty work in Peter's life since we first saw him in the gospel. Uh, no longer do we see this uh, impulsive, uh, foot-shaped mouth disciple, but after some 30 years, God has transformed his heart. He's mature in his faith, and he has learned that truly being in Christ helps him overcome weaknesses and personality flaws. And I tell you what, I'm thankful for that. Uh, truly being in Christ helps us overcome weaknesses and personality flaws. Uh, remember, First Peter was written to pilgrims. Of the dispersion, a phrase translated as scattered strangers in other places. And we saw Peter uh, likes to use Old Testament imagery throughout this first section, connecting his, uh, his readers to the people of God. Uh, like Abraham, they were pilgrims. They both faced tough times. Both uh, had to leave behind everything that they knew. Both would have wondered, is God really going to be faithful through this? Both had to keep the faith even when it felt like faith was not worth anything. And so when Peter, Peter encourages them, uh, just like God was with Abraham, so he will be with you. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is a truth that we can still stand on. Some solid stability for us to stand on uh, when everything around us is shaky. Because of Jesus, we have a living hope. And that hope changes everything. Specifically, uh, the hope we have in Christ changes how we deal with trials. Uh, remember that word parasmos that we looked at last week. 1 Peter 1.6 uh, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Parasmos. And we saw that word is all-encompassing. It includes a whole lot of things. It, it includes uh, a, a test of faith. It includes temptation to sin, whether internally or externally. The thoughts that we wrestle with, those battles that we sometimes face, that play out in our minds, that is parasmos. It includes a lot of different things. These trials are described as heavy, and we all know what it's like to experience heavy parasmos, heavy trials, and sometimes it's daily. Our hope in the midst of these trials. And what we choose to believe in the midst of all of this is that these trials are deepening our faith, they're leading to joy, and they're leading to salvation. And so we see these trials are needed. Now, the imperative from Peter is to be ready. Remember that phrase, gird up the loins of your mind. It's a phrase uh, that is a call to get ready for action. Uh, just like the Israelites in Exodus 12, they were instructed to be ready to leave Egypt after the first Passover. God still moves on behalf of his people. We just need to stay ready, be ready, and, and, and be obedient when he tells us to go. Be ready and be holy because God is holy. Uh, these same instructions were given to God's people in Leviticus. And now these New Testament believers are God's people because of Jesus. Verse 18 there in chapter 1. You are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So Jesus is our example of holiness. Jesus is our means to holiness. And believers are called to be like Christ and through him be holy. 
Remember the instructions. Be ready, be holy, be in the word. Uh, Verse 24, chapter 1. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We saw last week. His word helps us love. His word purifies our hearts. His word tells us as believers uh, we are being built into a new spiritual house, a new temple of which Jesus is the chief and most important cornerstone. His word tells us that we as believers are now the new priesthood. Think about that for a moment. What did, in the Old Testament, what did, what did priests do? They connected God to the people and the people to God. And that's how our lives should look like now. Uh, so as a, as a preacher, I think sometimes things happen in my life, uh, just frustrating things, just so I'll have something to tell you, so, so I can share it with you guys. I don't know, uh, those of you who don't, are not preachers, I don't know what you do with all your frustrating things, but um, after, after the lawnmower caught on fire uh, in my backyard, um, I had uh, a little trouble starting it uh, a few Saturdays ago. Um, it, it took me an hour to start it. And I, I, I traced, uh, we got the fire fixed, and um, we, we grounded the wire that, was, that caught on fire. And, and I traced it down to, um, there was a short somewhere. And so I, I changed the fuse and uh, started it up. It started okay. I turned it off, tried to start it up again. It was dead again. I, eventually, I, I discovered there was a short in the ignition. And so it was shorting out this little bitty fuse. And so you have this big piece of, of lawn equipment, and it only takes one little half-inch fuse to go out, and, and the whole thing, it, it goes from a, a useful piece of equipment to just some redneck lawn art. And, and you know what? Um, sometimes it's like that in our lives as well. One little disconnect, one little area of sin, it makes the whole thing not useful. Th- think, about our, think about your life. What area of, 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 of your life are you just not willing to, to confess and turn over to God? Not willing to surrender to God? Because it only takes one little piece to put us completely out of commission. When we do that... Um, man, this, this sin, it, it drives a wedge between us and, and God. And it, it causes us to, to look like hypocrites to the eyes of the people outside these walls. Because that's exactly what we are. We're not living up to our God-given purpose. We're not being that priesthood that First Peter calls us to be and identifies us to be. Uh, verse 9, but you. Somebody say, that's me. That, that's That's me. Uh, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once who were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And so we pick it up this morning, right where we left off last week, in chapter 2. And and the major emphasis in chapter 2 and beyond is suffering. Uh, Peter, the first blank on your outline, First Peter has been called the most extensive New Testament teaching on the theology of suffering. The theology of suffering. Uh, Peter revisits this idea of parasmos as we continue, reminding his readers that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. 
And while we would think, um, okay, we're suffering, uh, we're called to be ready for action, let's just fight tooth and nail until we fix this and we're no longer suffering anymore. This could be a a real uh, William Wallace moment for us. But a main theme in this suffering is, number one on your outline, it's submission. Submission. And I don't know that anyone likes to be on the giving end of submission. You know, no fighter goes into a cage match wanting to be the first one to submit. But part of being in the world and not of the world means as followers of Jesus, we are not the same as those around us. And so the first thing we are to submit to is to government. Let's look at uh, verse 13, chapter 2. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, submission to government is a theme throughout Scripture. And and every time we come across it, I always sense a collective grumble in the hearts of the listeners. Maybe because every time I hear it, my initial response is to grumble at this command. But according to Scripture, um, it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you're on. The instructions are to submit to governmental authorities all the way up to the king. Or for us, it would be the president. Christians have a responsibility to civil government. Now, we are all aware of how divided our nation is. We are all aware that some governmental policies are just plain ungodly. And we should be aware that there are times to stand up for the truth. And there are a couple of phrases in in these verses that kind of help us to know when to do that and how to do that. Notice verse 13. It says, Therefore submit yourself to every ordinance of man. What's the next phrase? For the Lord's sake. That, that That is key. Uh, it's a phrase that means, uh, it refers to the owner who has control of something. And we know who the owner of everything is, don't we? It's our God. It's the God that we, we serve. So when we submit to uh, our, our responsibility to civil government, it's not because they own us. It's because God does, and we want to do what He wants us to do. And so I submit to government Because there is a higher power than government that I choose to believe. I choose to believe what Proverbs 21.1 says. That God holds the hearts of kings in his hand and he directs wherever he chooses. And so for the Lord's sake we submit. The second phrase is do or doing good. Notice them here in verses 13 and following. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether to the king is supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him, the king, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as a bondservant of God, who we just saw is the owner of it all. You know, I I think a lot of the lack of submission towards government that we see in our nation 
does not fall under the category of doing good. That's a word that that carries a, a definition of virtuous. And church, violence is not virtuous. Disrespect is not virtuous. Racism is not virtuous. As believers, we shouldn't get caught up in anything violent, disrespectful, or racist. This lack of submission, because it's not for the Lord's sake, it's not good. Now, remember where Peter's readers were coming from. They had been scattered. They were under persecution. Christianity was being opposed and rejected by the persecutors, by the government. And yet the instructions were to submit for the Lord's sake and do good. This completely unnatural response only comes through Christ who makes us new and who was the perfect example to us. He submitted his life even though it was completely unjust. So we're called to submit to government whether we like it or not. Uh, Secondly, we see submit to masters. Submit to masters. Uh, Now, Peter is talking to slaves. And the evils of slavery are not addressed here in this book. It was just a legal reality in this culture. However, it's not a legal reality in our culture today. And so if anyone finds themselves in slavery, uh, Peter's not telling us to oh, just grin and bear it and go along with it. If you know anybody or anybody among us who finds themselves in some kind of slavery, uh, man, call somebody and get help, reach out to someone. Uh, But this better compares to us and our jobs. How do we honor God in employer and employee relationships? Look at verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So how do we endure difficult employment situations? Well, we look to Jesus, and maybe we look for a new job. But, but there will always be difficult people in our lives. Uh, any, any students among us, you, you get older, even, even at your age, you, you'll have teachers, uh, high school, college, that you just don't get along with. How do, we, how do we deal with them? We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. He is our example. He has made us new. So we, we don't have to, uh, to have that natural reaction come out of us toward them. Instead, we respond how Jesus did. Now, if we take it a step further, when you become the boss, make sure that your relationship with Jesus shines through toward your employer. Excuse me, your employees. A, a child of God should never be able to be described as a harsh employer. 
So uh, submit to government, submit to bosses. Number three, submission in families. Submission in families. And he starts with the wives. 1 Peter 3, 1, wives likewise. Uh, So just like we are submitting to governmental authorities and employers, uh, likewise, just like Jesus submitted to his accusers, wives likewise. Be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now we've seen this before when we looked at 1 Timothy. We need to remember this phrase, the next blanks on your outline, equal but not the same. Equal but not the same. When we take men and women's roles in context with all of Scripture, we see Galatians 3.26. For you all are sons. It's a a word that means children. Uh, You're all children of God through faith in Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And so God has created men and women equally as important as the other. Being male does not gain us more favor in God's eyes than our female counterparts. But he does have separate roles for us. The husband is called and designed to be the head of the home. And a woman is called to submit to his leadership, even if he's not a believer in Christ. Your submission may lead him to Christ, as it said right there in verse 1. And that submission looks different in different families. The command is for the woman to submit to her own husband. And that may look different than someone else submitting to her own husband. The gospel makes us different. And the gospel gives us strength to submit when submission is the last thing we want to do. So again, God has made us equal, but not the same. So wives, you get six verses here in chapter 3. And guys, we only get one, and there is an entire message in it. And we're just going to take it one piece at a time. Uh, I'm just sharing with you things that I've heard uh, through the years. 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands likewise. There's that word again. Remember, uh, we're still talking about submission. Uh, Like with government, like with our employers, like wives, like Jesus, husbands, likewise, dwell with them. Now them equals our wives. So live with them. It means spend time with them. I've heard that the, the closest English translation is the next blank on your outline. Make a home for her. Make a home for her. And this doesn't depend on how good a carpenter you are. It has to do with time. How much time do you spend with her? Some of us may be in the habit of being disconnected from our wives. You don't ever do life with her. And the more you don't do life together, the more disconnected you become. And she may very well be wondering, are we even in this together? A husband and wife should be more than roommates. Um, Guys, some of our habits are setting things in motion that one day in the future when the kids are grown and gone, uh, our wives are going to leave with them because we're so disconnected. And so you need to make changes now to prevent that from happening. Make a home for her. So husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives in an understanding way. That word, that word understanding can be translated, uh, be considerate. Be considerate. When you consider something, you, you think about it, you study it. And so the next blank on your outline, study your wife. Study your wife. Uh, guys, we learn a lot from studying our wives and considering her. We learn a lot from the Word of God and what it has to say about our relationship with her. We learn a lot from studies on marriage. Have you and are you putting the time in to know what she's thinking, what she's afraid of, what she's looking forward to, 
what she's dreaming of, what she's dreading. We find these answers when we study our wives. Uh, So husbands likewise dwell with them in an understanding way, giving honor to the wife. That means valuing her and what she does and acknowledging that she has immense value. Giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. The next blank on your outline, protect your wife. Protect your wife. That word weaker implies that we're all weak. Uh, Physically we may be stronger, but she's stronger in other areas. Do you value that? Do you cherish her? Do you value this relationship as your most important earthly relationship and protect it with everything that you can? Do you guard it against anyone else coming in and destroying it? Now it needs to be mentioned. If you ever use your physical strength to win a fight, that's not what God gave you physical strength for. Don't ever use physical presence to gain an advantage over her. Don't use what God has given you to bring her under you. That's not what your strength is for. This is all part of honoring our wives. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them in an understanding way, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. So if you are married... You have a partner to cherish and enjoy the good gifts of life that God has given you. And so the next blank, cherish your wife and enjoy living life together. It's not always graceful, but when you see her as a a partner with, with God's strength, you can get through life together. Okay, so uh, one last time here. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them in an understanding way, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, This word for hindered means cut off or cut out. It, It tells us that God is reluctant to hear the prayers of a man who's not working on his marriage. Basically, God says, uh, don't come to me like everything's good when everything's not good with job number one. See, apart from my relationship with Jesus, my relationship with Jessica is job number one. And sometimes I need to be reminded of that. Guys, do we pray for our wives? Wives, do you pray for your husbands? Do you pray for that harsh boss? Do we pray for those in government? One or a combination of many of these may be what causes your suffering. Remember, that's what what Peter's all about. The good news of Jesus changes who we are and what we do and how we deal and react to suffering. Sometimes he takes that suffering away. Other times he just gives us strength to endure. Look at verse 14, chapter 3. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, in meekness and fear, having a good conscience. And when when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Uh, Church, there's there's so much more that 1 Peter has to offer. And I encourage you to, to dig deeper on your own, in your own studies this week if you're not doing something else. And we're going to end with chapter 5, where Peter acknowledges that there is much more going on with our suffering than meets the eye. Uh, number two, right there at the, the end of your outline. 
Remember, this is a spiritual battle. This is a a spiritual battle. Verse 6 in chapter 5. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you to him Be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, church, we we have to fight these battles with spiritual weapons. Fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. And as we go into a time of invitation here this morning, would you just bow your hearts and heads as we uh, go into a time of prayer? What truth do you need to claim out of God's word that he's, he's spoken to you today? Which area of submission do you find the most difficult? Maybe if you're like me, it's, it's, it's all of them. <laughs> Cannot do it without the Spirit of God living within me. What has God said to you? What are you going to do about it? Lord, we we do invite you to come. And we thank you for your word, Lord. And uh, Lord, we acknowledge that um, once again, Lord, your word has instructed us to do things that are completely against our natural will, natural reactions. So Lord, help us to to be sober. Lord, help us to uh, be vigilant. Help us to be ready. Help us to be holy. Lord, staying connected closely to you, not just here on Sunday mornings, Lord, but but throughout the week. Give us eyes to see people like you do. God, we, we do lift up our government. And Lord, we pray that that those in leadership would see their need for you and that they would surrender to you. God, we, we desperately need you as a nation. Lord, we trust that you are in control, but give us the grace and the wisdom to know when to submit, when to stand up for truth, and to know when we have to do both. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.